welcome to the Economy, Land and Climate podcast. My name's Alistair, and in this episode, I spoke to Gareth Redmond King, the COP26, or Climate Talks lead, at the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit. The progress that we still need to make before we get there is daunting. I began by asking Gareth what the upcoming COP was and why he thought it was important. COP is the Conference of the Parties. It's a meeting of the part of the United Nations that deals with climate change, the snappily titled United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Um, That's somewhere in the region of 200 countries and blocks who are signatories and members, parties to the UNFCCC, um, uh, who, who are, you know, the, the, the nations of the world who work together to try and tackle climate change. When they come together on an annual basis, they do it at the Conference of the Parties, which is the COP. Um, and you get some clue as to how long they've been doing it for by the fact that the one in Glasgow is COP26, uh, which means it's the 26th meeting of this. They started doing this back at the Rio Earth Summit in 1992. Um, and I guess the one other thing to say about COP26 is it should have happened last year. Uh, it was due to happen in November 2020, but obviously um, COVID came along um, and made that uh, impossible. So now it's taking place in November 2021. Why is this one important? Um, because it falls five years, five plus one years after given COVID's delay, um, falls five years after the Paris Agreement was uh, agreed at COP21 um, in 2015. Um, and this is a moment at which uh, countries should be ratcheting up their ambition in terms of the, the action they're taking on climate. The commitment in the Paris Agreement was to keep warming to well below two degrees, to aim for one and a half degrees. Um, the, the actions that are currently logged, as it were, by the UN um, put us somewhere between two and three degrees of warming. So there's more ambition needed from most uh, parties to um, to the U- to, to the UNFCCC. Um, so that's why it's that's one of the reasons why it's particularly important. Um, and you know, it's it's timed as we go into um, a really critical decade um, for climate action. The 2020s. We heard from the world's climate scientists a couple of years ago. The IPCC um, in their report on one and a half degrees that if we carry on emitting at current rates we've only got about a decade before we lock in one and a half degrees and we know from the science that underpins all of that that the impacts get worse and worse beyond one and a half degrees and one and a half degrees is kind of deemed as as a inverted commas safe uh, level of warming it's not safe we see the impacts now at one degree um, but it is it is deemed to get much more dangerous beyond that. So it's it's the critical moment for countries to ratchet up their climate ambition, to cough up on their promises, the rich countries to cough up on their promises um, of um, funding to support poorer countries, to adapt to climate change and to take climate action. Um, and, you know, this this decade... The action that we take now, particularly the early part of this decade, is going to determine whether we're successful at keeping warming to one and a half degrees or not. Can you say something about what the pivotal issues for the summit are, are going to be um, and what what it will really depend on in terms of being a success in the end? 
So there are kind of two levels to this. One is um, the Paris Agreement was signed uh, and you know and, and adopted. Well, adopted. It was it was it was signed and became um, the the foundation basis of of action to, to tackle climate change five years ago. Um, there are still technical bits of work to make that agreement work. Um, there's still the the agreements on the, the on on what's known as the Paris Rulebook. Um, so agreements on how carbon is traded between nations and between nations and companies, for example, um, applying a common time frame to all of the emissions pledges that are made by parties to the agreement. Um, there are the, so, so there are technical things like that 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 really need to be uh, nailed down and just to make sure that the Paris Agreement works and and, and works smoothly. And then there are the big um, issues about you know what we need to do to to make sure that we're acting quickly enough um, to keep warming to one and a half degrees. And I, I sort of carry characterize that as real plans, um, real money um, and real action, real plans actually to do what com- what countries um, say they're going to do. So the, the UK has set uh, a really ambitious um, uh, climate targets, uh, one of the first uh, major economies to commit to net zero by 2050. It's um, set itself a target that it will cut emissions by uh, at least 68% by 2030, 78% by 2035. That is leading edge in terms of the rate of um, cutting emissions, but it needs action to do it. It needs to submit a decent long-term strategy. It needs to have real plans, policies, investment in place to do it. And that's true of all of the, the countries it's it's no good just setting a target you need to you know you, you can't just say you're going to run a marathon you need to do the training as well um you know you need to to make it real so real plans i would say is one thing real money um needs to be on the table um the rich countries committed to providing um 100 billion dollars uh, a year by 2020 to poorer nations to support them to take climate action to adapt to climate impacts and to pay for loss and damage caused by those climate impacts um, and as things stand even after some additional money that that, that was committed by um, some of the the nations who attended the G7 in Cornwall in June um, even then we still look as though we're maybe 17 billion short of that promise so that's important not just because those uh, countries need that money to be able to take that action but also because it's a promise. And if you don't deliver on promises, then you lose trust. Um, and, you know, United Nations negotiations are hard enough without trying to do it in, in a, an environment where there just is no trust that people will live up to what they say they're going to do. And then the third thing is real actions, real actions that will actually kind of, you know, move this along very fast in the 2020s and put us on a decent trajectory. So it's real actions to um, stop, you know, to, to get rid of the bad stuff, if you like. Um, so 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 commitments to phase out coal, to stop funding new coal, um, to uh, get countries working together to stop deforestation, um, which is a huge threat uh, globally. Real action um, to 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 um, speed up the transition from petrol and diesel cars to electric vehicles, for example. So real plans, real money, and then the real actions that actually make it happen. You mention uh, that that the UK has got very ambitious targets um, in terms of climate targets. And obviously, the UK is going to be hosting the, the the climate talks. How credible do you think the UK now is as a kind of climate leader? 
I think by any measure, the UK has been a climate leader for a number of years. It has significantly cut its emissions. Um, it's led the way on, um, uh, you know, de- deploying and developing um, and therefore helping bring down the cost of some really important technologies um, for everyone to be able to cut their emissions, like like offshore wind, for example, where the UK, I think I'm right in saying, is still the single largest part of the global market. Um, and as I say, first uh, major economy to commit to net zero by 2050, and that at least 68% cut by 2030 is, you know, is leading edge that puts it on track for net zero. And um, net zero by mid-century is embedded in the Paris Agreement. It's what the science says we need to do. So, you know, it's it's a real commitment. Um, and so it has credibility from that point of view. Um, but you need to be able to deliver. You know, you need to be on track to deliver. So there are some really big, difficult things. It's a, the UK has achieved a lot in terms of decarbonising its power supply um, with with offshore wind and, and onshore wind uh, and solar. Um, but it's uh, much more difficult is uh, decarbonising heat in our homes, for example, um, and uh, speeding up the the transition from petrol and diesel to electric vehicles, um, cutting emissions from our agriculture and food sector, and addressing the emissions that we export. Um, We consume a lot of goods that are made in countries around the world. Um, We travel a lot on on aeroplanes and, you know, the, the, the the, the ships and planes involved in that process and the manufacturing process um, for the things that we buy, they add to our um, footprints as well. There are lots of difficult... Those don't count in our Paris target. Those last things don't count in our Paris target, but they're still important in terms of leading and supporting other countries um, to reduce their emissions. So there's some very difficult things that the UK needs to do. And then the UK has made some odd decisions um, in recent um, recent months and years. It's sort of, sort of nearly uh, opened a new coal mine, which I think would um, have been a dent to uh, to, to climate leadership. Um, it, it has uh, unfortunately cut uh, overseas development assistance um, from 0.7% of GDP to 0.5% of GDP. That is a difficult position um, to choose to take domestically when on the international stage you are asking fellow G7 members, G20 members, OECD countries to step up and give more money um, to, to, to deliver that 100 billion in climate finance. So there are there are there are great steps forward and some missteps um, along the way. Um, where the, 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 the degree of really intensive um, diplomatic work that the UK uh, is expected to deliver between now and COP26 um, to make sure that the COP is a success um, is is a huge ask of uh, anyone climate leader or not. And, you know, th- those missteps don't help, but um, there is a big job to do. Alok Sharma, the COP president, um, seems very committed to that. But this is, I think, I think others who've other countries who've hosted difficult cops in the past i suspect the french would say this um would point out that um this is a whole this needs needs to be a whole government effort it can't it's not just on the hands of uh of the cop president and and a team in cabinet office this needs to be um led by the prime minister the the chancellor the um foreign secretary um this needs to be a whole government um effort and i think that's where the uk um still probably needs to step up quite quickly the role of the the US. Could you say a little bit about the the new Biden administration and and what impact that might have on the climate talks? 
I think the return of the US has been very significant so far this year. Um, we uh, we saw some some very significant commitments made by candidate Biden before he was elected. Um, climate was um, uh, an issue in the US election in a way that it has never been before. Um, uh, President Biden um, has then uh, made some very significant early steps in terms of committing to uh ambitious new emissions cuts pledges by the US to increasing the US's com- contribution to that 100 billion climate finance um and to convening um countries um within you know before he'd even got to his 100 days mark in office uh, he convened a, a summit um of uh, 40 leading nations a mixture of of countries who are um uh, vulnerable to climate impacts and countries who are big emitters um uh, countries who are leading, countries who are not yet leading. Um, so, you know, very a very big sense this year, including at the G7, that the US is back and the US is back at the table. And I think it would have been um, a very different, very much more difficult year and a very much uh very much more difficult and more different run into cop 26 if if um you know if the election had gone the other way all of that said it's not plain sailing uh the us has huge challenges we've already seen um biden's infrastructure um funding uh you know you, you, we've seen the compromises he's needed to make to get that through congress but we still hear strong words from him about what he is going to do with the you know wafer thin majority he has in congress without you know without being sort of vulnerable to the the filibuster so i i think on the whole it's an incredibly positive thing that the us is back um and there's a real sense that um you know that that helps give this difficult year of everything that we need to achieve at cop um some much needed additional momentum there are maybe other events leading up to the cop uh that are important um uh, can you tell us about those if that's the case? We have the G20 finance ministers meeting in July. We have a group of ministers um, being brought together by the COP um, host Alok Sharma here in London um, in, at the end of July. Uh, we have the United Nations General Assembly in September um, and then the G20 leaders themselves um, meet at the end of October just before um, COP26 starts. Those are all critical moments to make real progress ahead of COP on those kind of real real action, real plans, real money um, that's needed uh, to make sure that, that COP26 can deliver a, you know, a, a deal that kind of keeps momentum going beyond the COP. Is it fair to say you sound mildly optimistic about the cop and it's and how it's going to go i think um i i think it depends what day you ask me as to whether i'm optimistic or pessimistic about the cop i think i'm on most days optimistic about it not least because if you kind of pause and step back and look at where we are globally in terms of the commitments being made in terms of some of the really um important step up in climate action ambition that we've seen from the us um from from china who who have yet to submit um an an ndc an emissions pledge under Paris um, to, to renew the one that they already have, but have said that they're 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 aiming for net zero by 2060, which is what the the Paris Agreement and the science require. So there have been some really significant steps that have moved us along uh, a lot. Um, the conversation this is much more much more part of the political conversation that, that again that G7 leaders, um, uh, you know, committed to action 
to keep warming to one and a half degrees is a is a big deal. So we're the environment that we are in um, as we head towards the COP is is good. Um, the progress that we still need to make before we get there is daunting, um, including closing that gap on um, the hundred billion, um, including um, some progress, you know, some progress on some of the, the that sort of those sort of technicalities around the Paris rule book, the, the preparatory meetings that were held um, that would normally have been held in person in Bonn in June um, were held online for three weeks. Very, very difficult. Lots of technical problems. Um, uh, if you want to know what that looked like, go and have a look at the um, uh, the SB bloopers um, Twitter feed that's some funny but, you know, adds up to sort of worrying set of technical difficulties. Anyway, the point being that they didn't make enough progress. Um, and so there's there's still there's still a lot of work to do for just over four months um, of time um, before we get to COP26. So it's kind of, it's it's cautious optimism. And by the sounds of it, the, the COP could, in theory, fail before the, the actual talks have even started in november is that is that fair to say well this is why the this is why the climate finance is so important because if we can't close that gap uh globally then that's a really important promise that is already overdue that is not delivered on when we know um that poorer countries need that money um as well as needing people to live up to the promises they make in international climate negotiations. The poorer countries need that money um, to, to because of the, the loss and damage that they experience um, from climate impacts, because of the urgent need to adapt, um, because they also need to take action to cut emissions, because, um, you know, they, as every country in the world, have been hit by COVID um, economic impacts as well. But, you know, those poorer smaller small island nations developing nations you know they are they are most affected by climate change they are least they contribute least to the problem um, and they are least able to to pay for it so you know there is a real need there as well as a trust issue so i think if 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 that climate finance gap can't be closed before cop 26 then you know the pessimism starts to um uh rather kind of shift the shift the balance with the optimism i think and finally, um, after COP, can you describe to us how things will work after COP and what the next steps will be, assuming that everything up to that point has gone relatively well? With you know, with a with a prevailing wind and all good hard diplomatic graft beforehand on the part of the presidency and and everybody else involved and and you know and and sort of big powerful uh, nations who are leading like the US um we can get a decent um a decent package from um a Glasgow package a Glasgow deal um uh that uh, will keep one and a half degrees within reach if if that's the case then we could you know we should could leave cop with real momentum into the 2020s with a sense that you know that that markets are moving in the right direction as a result of really important signals sent by political leaders that they are committed to to this change as a result of big green investment packages such as the you know that which which Biden is pursuing such um as that which many countries say they are committed to a green um recovery from the from the pandemic pandemic that can fund and fuel the the real action and the delivery of the real plans 
um, that, that that should be part of that package at Glasgow. And if we see that momentum, then you know we're in a, a good place heading towards COP27, which will be hosted, I think, by Egypt um, a year later, and that will very much be preparing for um, the global stock take, which is the next sort of big landmark point in um, in the UNFCCC uh, calendar, which is in 2023, um, which is sort of the next the next point of of of, of sort of trying to ratchet up um, climate ambition um, globally. A decent, um, robust package at Glasgow and momentum beyond it is what we're looking for. And then, you know, well, we could, I, you know, I could paint, I could paint a rosy picture of what that future looks like, but uh, we haven't got that kind of time. But um, that's what we're hoping for. My thanks to Gareth Redmond King from the Energy, Climate and Intelligence Unit for his time. If you enjoyed the podcast please do subscribe or follow us and we'll hope to have more interesting interviews on climate topics in the very near future. Thanks for listening.